This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Hubble, spelt H-U-B-B-L. It fuses streaming and free-to-air TV into a single experience, which means you don't have to go in and out of apps to discover content you'll love. Hubble, it's TV and streaming made easy. Good morning, I'm Alex Tai. And I'm Claire Kimball. It's Monday the 11th of September. In your Squiz today, a deadly earthquake in Morocco. The G20 comes together, the Yes campaign sliding support, and writing the perfect vows. This is your Squiz today. There's been a huge earthquake in Morocco and the death toll continues to climb. We're publishing this podcast at 6am on Monday and the toll is over 2,000 people. Yeah, that quake was at least magnitude 6.8, although the seismologists there are going to continue to study the data. It could be as high as 7.2 magnitude. And to give you some context, that big earthquake in Turkey earlier this year was a 7.8 magnitude, so not far off that 7.2. That earthquake in Turkey, of course, killed about 60 thousand people. The epicentre of this quake, though, was at the High Atlas Mountains in Morocco. Uh, It's about 70 kilometres south of Marrakesh. It's an ancient city and reports say that World Heritage sites there have been damaged, but the majority of the casualties are in the province to the south of Marrakesh, where homes have been very cheaply and poorly built. Yes, there are reports of entire villages made out of clay bricks being totally destroyed. And at the same time, the mountains around the epicentre of the quake have made it really difficult for rescuers to get to the people who need help, with many of the roads there blocked by landslides. The Moroccan army has been called in, though, to help with that search and rescue effort, and nations around the world have also offered recovery help. There's also been offers of humanitarian assistance for displaced Moroccans. The Red Cross director for that region is Hossam El-Shakawi, And he said that uh, they're looking at many months, if not years, of a response. Um, The King of Morocco has directed humanitarian efforts towards rebuilding destroyed homes and caring for now homeless Moroccans. And he said, in his words, they want to put a special focus on orphans and vulnerable people. The King also declared a three-day state of mourning for the victims of the disaster. And we can expect more on this during the week. The G20 Leaders Summit in New Delhi in India was held over the weekend, Claire. We previewed that summit in our Shortcuts episode last week. And as expected, the African Union was officially welcomed as a permanent member of the group. What wasn't so much of a certainty, though, was whether they'd get to an agreement on a joint declaration. Yeah, exactly. But the leaders have managed to do that. Russia, of course, is a member of the G20 and its invasion of Ukraine has been a divisive issue. And last year, Western nations at the G20 and their need to condemn Russia's actions meant that a joint statement was effectively thrown out the window. But this year, they have got everyone on the same page. Uh, What they've agreed on is a statement that says that there are different views and assessments of the war, but nations have agreed to, and this is the quote, uphold the principles of international law, including territorial integrity and sovereignty. 
Russia's President Vladimir Putin was not at the meeting. He was represented by their Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov. The response from Ukraine over that joint statement was one of disappointment. It said the declaration was nothing to be proud of. Coming up, Claire, we have the last sitting week of federal parliament before the October 14 referendum on enshrining an Indigenous voice to parliament in our constitution. So this is your alert to expect a fair bit from Canberra on that issue this week. As our politicians head into that, there has been more bad news for the Yes campaign. Yeah, so a poll that was out on Saturday showed that just 39% of Australians are in favour of The Voice and that 61% are opposed, and that's one of the worst results for the Yes case so far. Uh, the director from Redbridge, which is the group that did that survey, Cos Samaras, uh, he said that the Yes case was being propped up by university-educated voters and young voters, and even that's dropping. Um, the Essential poll is another one that's showing diminishing support for the referendum. Its director is Peter Lewis and he's pointed out that there's a generational divide. Uh, He said that if this referendum was being run by the under 35s, it's a slam dunk, but it's dead on arrival for the over 55s. Yesterday, the Yes campaigner and Indigenous leader Noel Pearson said he is optimistic about the vote, saying, we're the underdog in this referendum, but I still believe we can achieve victory. Europe has a new biggest company after the luxury goods giant LVMH was overtaken by a Danish pharmaceutical company called Novo Nordisk. Yeah, so it's not exactly a household name unless you've been using their insulin and diabetes products, but they've come to wider attention after they started to produce the semaglutide drugs Ozempic and Wagovi. Uh, The experts say that they're breakthroughs that are helping people to manage their weight. The company has set out to help people with diabetes do that using those drugs. But over the last year or so, there have been people without diabetes using it. They're also looking to reduce their weight. And that means that the value of Novo Nordisk has really shot up because effective medications for weight loss are in such high demand. Um, The fortunes of Novo Nordisk are so significant that it's even reshaping Denmark's economy. Yes, the company is now valued at around $660 billion and it is pushing up the value of the Danish krona and keeping interest rates there lower than they would otherwise be. Azempic and Wagovi have been approved for use in Australia. Wagovi has yet to hit shelves though and Azempic is currently in limited supply here. A message now from our podcast partner, Hubble. You know what it's like. Your friend recommends a great film or TV show and you're excited to check it out, but suddenly realise you can't remember what she said it was. That's where Hubble, spelt H-U-B-B-L, comes in. It brings your streaming apps and free-to-air TV together into a single experience. You can easily search for your favourite content and keep track of what you want to continue watching. You can also watch free-to-air TV with or without an aerial using the integrated TV guide so you always know what's on and where. It's TV and streaming made easy. Go to hubble.com.au to find out more. We have been following the American Coco Golf at the US Open for the last two weeks, and Claire, she did it. 
At 19, she has won her first Grand Slam tournament. Yeah, an incredible achievement, of course, to win your first Grand Slam tournament is a big thing and she seems to be someone who's going to be around for a while yet, so it's one of those moments. Um, That game at the US Open was a three-set thriller. It was against Arena Sabalenka and Goff lost the first set, but she clawed her way back to win the next two. Uh, It makes her the first teenager to win the US Open since Serena Williams, which aren't bad shoes to fill. Um, Serena did that back in 1999. And as for Goff, she said to the haters, to those who thought that they were putting water on my fire, they were putting gas on my fire. So away she goes. <laughs> um, we had an Aussie in the finals too. Matt Ebden was in the men's doubles final on Sunday morning. Uh, he was with his partner, Rohan Bapana. Uh, they lost, unfortunately, though, two sets to one. As for the men's single final, it is a rematch of the 2021 US Open final with Novak Djokovic versus Daniil Medvedev. Djokovic is aiming for a record-breaking 24th Grand Slam title win, but Medvedev actually beat Djokovic back in that 2021 final to claim his first and only Grand Slam victory. They are playing as we publish this podcast, so we should have a result early this morning. The wedding industry is no small beast, Claire, and now more and more people are getting their vows written by professional wedding vow writers. Yeah, and there's a couple of reasons for that. There are more civil ceremonies happening and that's where couples are really coming up with their own vows and that can be pretty daunting. And the second reason is there's a lot of pressure on people to get it right because (laughs) of social media. It's got to be this sort of perfect moment and many people think that they've got to get some help to do that right. One writer said that there are four parts to a good wedding vow. One, you start with how you met and what brought you to this day. Two, what do you love about them? Three, you nail down three to six promises. They're specific about that number. (laughs) And fourth step is to talk about your future together. And you have to do that all pretty quickly so people can get to the food. (laughs) Must be very simple, I'm sure. (laughs) Squiz the day, Claire. What is coming up today? Alex, it is the anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks in America, which of course is a very meaningful day for many people to reflect on. That was back in 2001, so it is 22 years since that attack. That is all for us today. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back again tomorrow. Hi there, it's Bryce from Squiz Kids, the daily news podcast for small people. March is Women's History Month, and we're celebrating over on our socials. Every weekday this month, we're throwing the spotlight on a different iconic woman from Australia's rich history. Follow us on Instagram via the handle at Squiz Kids to learn the backstories of some incredible Aussie women, and together, honour their legacies. <laughs>